2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my colleague and partner in making the world a better place through business, Raj Shasodia. Hi, Raj.
3: Hey, Timothy. Good to be with you again.
2: Yeah, good to see you. And this week, we have a dynamic duo from a company that's got an important social purpose as well as a working financial model, empowered, and we'll talk to the founder of that and the CEO, and our founder is John Salzinger, and we have the CEO, Sengha John. So welcome, both of you. Great to have you with us.
1: Thank Thank you so much. much. It's a pleasure.
2: So maybe begin by explaining to our audience a little bit about Empowered and um, how it came to be and what it is.
0: Sure. So um, we founded the company, uh, it's almost our birthday in July of twenty twelve, uh, with the idea that uh we could be a vehicle for change um as a for-purpose, for-profit organization. Um our business model is somewhat unique. Uh we sell uh micro power designed items, and that is an that is what the acronym is for empowered. Um, They're small, portable lights and mobile chargers in different formats um, to those in the developed world and retail and corporations and direct to consumer. And through those healthy margins, we're able to reduce pricing and make the same exact technologies affordable to those in emerging markets, underserved communities and emergency preparedness and response situations. And happy to say we're a B Corp always have been, and a benefit corporation. So we're held accountable not only by the public, uh, but by our shareholders and stakeholders. And to date, we've impacted about 4 million lives that did not have access to reliable electricity uh, through our deployment of our products, primarily through about 700 NGO and nonprofit relationships. And also environmentally, we have averted about 3 million tons of CO2. And that's just through those deployments. If any of us in the and excuse me, in the developed world um, use a light, we don't know exactly what we're averting. So whether it's DC current or a battery, so we just don't um, include that. So our environmental impact is much larger than that. Um, And the education to the developed world is very important to us too. Um, So it's not just the impact um, in the present, um, but it's the impact in the future, we hope.
2: Ah, I love it. I really love that. And I love that idea of a company for purpose, for profit and saying, I'm curious, when you came in as CEO, how did you think about it differently when you were you know, given the idea that this is a company for purpose, for profit? How did that affect how you maybe lead or the expectations you have for the company?
1: That's a great question. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to give a tiny slice of my background um, because I do think it's relevant. So I was actually born into a situation where I did not have running water or electricity. So I, I always knew that I wanted to work in the area of development and um, find a, a way to really enable those in communities without you know, access to various resources that we hear you know, in the US primarily take for granted. Um, so Empowered to me was uh, the ultimate model of being able to do just that. Um, you know, after my, my, you know, circumstances of how I grew up, I eventually did want to work in policy, but I took a, a pause recognizing that it's very difficult to develop policy for, you know, entire communities um, if you don't know what will actually benefit them without creating chains of dependency. So at Empowered, I think you know, what we do is, is really important because it's not a cycle of dependency that we create, but we really look to bring solutions to those in environments where they may not have access to electricity or it may be intermittent because of you know, various um, infrastructure issues, or, you know, as John mentioned, natural disasters. Um, So we empower them by bringing them solar lights that they can use personally, um, for, you know, anything that they may need, uh, whether it's, you know, keeping their businesses open longer, whether it's being able to, you know, cook at home safely without the noxious fumes from kerosene or you know burns that can be caused by firewood there are so many different ways in which our, our lights are used so for me taking this sort of personal background um, joining forces with john at this incredible company it was a full 360 moment for me to realize that in the private sector um, you can really combine uh, this intent to you know a create change and um, inspire a new way of working uh, with, um, you know, the very basic tenets of a business, you know, creating something that is sustainable, profitable, and can continue to contribute over time. So it's really, you know, the perfect melding of of something personal, as well as something profound in, in terms of, you know, how our business works.
2: That's beautiful. Thank you.
3: Let's uh, let's talk about the product line. Uh, I think it's mostly lighting and uh, mobile chargers. Is that what you said, John? Primarily,
0: uh, yep. Yeah.
3: So, uh, do these lights do they have to be kept outside to charge up so you can use them, or do you just put something else that charges up and then you plug into that? Sure,
0: sure, sure. So, so I'll also add to that we also have a speaker and we have a STEM kit uh, for those to learn teach their children. My three-year-old. Those about solar lighting because of our STEM kit. Uh, but in general, um, the lights are primarily, they're all solar, but most of them are solar and rechargeable. Um, so they have both components. We just came out with a bike light as an example. We felt, um, you know, after the pandemic through commuting, let's clean up people's bike rides because people are already doing the, the more environmentally conscious choice, but they're still using, you know, uh, lights with batteries that have to be replaced, which really harm the environment. Um, the line itself, um, we have inflatable lights that, you know, collapse down into a 40,000 in a container and you can put in your pocket and walk around with a full lantern of 300 lumens. We have a task light that can hang as a, as a ceiling light, but can also be used to read as a table lamp. Uh, we have a string light that unfurls into 18 feet of string light but wraps up as well, transformatively into a a disc. Um, And we have smart enabled app lights and a solar speaker. Um, Most importantly, the design is built around micro power design. Um, And that's the key for us. Um, It's very important that we make products that people find useful, but also find enjoyable.
2: I love it, I love it. Now, as you, as you look out over the, the nine years that you've been in business, what would you point to as sort of two of your biggest successes? And I'm probably thinking one in the developed world and one in the quote unquote uh, developing world. Um, what would you pick as some of the big successes that you've had?
0: Yeah, well, I think obviously product um, across the board, but product in the developed world is our engine, right? that enables us to create reduced margin um, for those that really need need the lights as tools. Um, In emerging markets are actually, we do have a lot of capacity building um, sort of uh, women's buying and selling groups. Uh, So Papua New Guinea uh, comes up, PNG tribal is one of the successes that we've had in that sort of capacity building development environment. And Puerto Rico, between the earthquake and the hurricane, there was actually 100,000 lights um, deployed. And that was through, you know, uh, the UN, through Save the Children, um, even through the Humane Society, believe it or not. Um, Walgreens, you know, when Harvey hit in Texas, Academy Sports decided to delve out our lights. So we're a real vehicle for change, and we enable our partners whether they be retail, corporations, uh, Citizen Watch has delved out so many lights, thousands and thousands of lights. Our consumers can go on our website and buy a light for our Give program. So hey, we're just a vehicle uh, that enables people who want to do good to do good, while at the same time, you know, their innate urge of meat, right, of survival, of feeding themselves, they can also buy a light for themselves. And we just think the combination of that creates... Um, hundreds of stories. So that's just a couple. Um, but uh, the, the notes we get, uh, uh, one more just because it's in a different sort of zone. Um, in the U.S. off the coast of Florida, um, an elderly man was on a boat. Um, he was uh, His engine died and he had a heart attack. And the Coast Guard was looking for him and he had a Lucy light and he turned it on and then he wrote us this incredible note saying that the light basically... You know, it was instrumental in them finding it and so it's things like that um that are that are numerous heartfelt and keep us going um, mm. i will add one more thing to that these stories that you ask about um we tug on heartstrings uh when we're going into walmart or to target etc and speaking of buyers because we're all people and we all want to do good uh, and we all want to have that vehicle for change so in this case um It's business for good, but it's also good business.
1: I'd love to add to that with another. uh, So I definitely agree, you know, the ways in which we've impacted people and the stories that we've heard um, is definitely one area that we definitely say has been successful for us. Another space is in combining what we do. So you've mentioned, you know, maybe there's something on the retail side and the impact side. It's really when we combine the two that we see the ultimate power of business. Mm. Um, an example in this space is with Amazon. So a few years ago, they decided that they would use us as a quote unquote, guinea pig. They were starting this brand new program within Amazon to focus on disaster relief. So they saw themselves as, rightly so, the logistics be a right? <laughs> but they turned to us knowing we had 700 NGO partnerships that we were able to do this, you know, on the ground last mile work to say, how can we partner? So when there is a natural disaster, empowered, you know how to get out there right away, how to deploy your lights. Um, but what they found interesting was not only were we able to do that through our NGO partners, but because of the space in which we exist, the sort of outdoor industry, those who care about sustainability, those who care in general, um, we were also able to introduce them to other companies. So Catadine is one of our partners in water purification. We were able to introduce them to tent companies, sleeping bag companies, you name it, right? So all of a sudden you had this massive network that became very powerful of Amazon with its global warehouses, worldwide presence. Brands like us who create innovative products that can be used after natural disaster, our NGO partners. And I think in one year, there are 27 deployments all around the world at a massive speed, helping people Um, before governments could get in there, before, you know, just infrastructure could be set up. And I think um, that's really the power of what we do, that um, it's genuine, it's in the business sphere, we are constantly developing relationships, um, looking for partners. You know, I know a lot of your listeners are in the, the corporate sector And this is the kind of work that thrills us, that motivates us, and that shows that no matter where you exist in the business world, um, there is something that you can do that creates a larger impact. And I think, you know, John mentioned earlier on, we are a vehicle for change. And this is the kind of change that we think is really inspiring.
3: You know, uh, there's been a bit of a debate going on recently uh, with some people sort of putting the climate change issue uh, versus the needs of the poor, right? So if you look at Africa, for example, that there are lots of people who are struggling with basic necessities and that the best way today to fulfill those is with various fossil fuels. And that if we deny them that for various reasons, that they're going to be locked in poverty. And I, I tend to reject that as a false uh, uh, choice that you can either have environmental sustainability or you can have economic growth and opportunity. Uh, but I'm sure you have some thoughts on that, John. I've read, read some of the things that you've written, uh, that this is this is a big part of the solution in that part of the world where people don't have access to the grid and they don't have access to uh, cleaner energy, that that we need to, in fact, that this can actually meet those needs without having them having to go through the intermediate coal-based
0: and kerosene-based and all the other things? I'll try to be polite. Um, uh, Climate change is a disaster for everyone, no matter where you live. Uh, It might not be a disaster for the planet, but for humankind, uh, for other species, uh, the planet will regenerate one way or another. Um, But it is an impending, uh, it's actually a disaster that's here. So I think the premise of that, I agree with you. I think the premise of that is false. Uh, I will also say that those countries that have fossil fuel um, in them, and sometimes as resources or resource from, um, don't benefit environmentally, um, don't benefit culturally, don't benefit um, on a health uh, basis. As a matter of fact, Many of those countries' resources are sort of pillaged by a lot of these larger companies. And unfortunately don't realize, the average person doesn't realize the benefits of that. Um, To your question, uh, I think I'd compare it to um, mobile technology versus telephones. So, uh, you know, here there's copper, or there was dating myself but copper wire, et cetera, and you'd have a telephone in your house. Well, you know, the benefit of being a late adopter of technology, or in this case, not adopting that technology uh, in rural uh, emerging markets is that they can now go right to clean energy, right to portable energy, own their energy. um, And if they don't use the PAYGO model, uh, which we don't use, um, own their energy. Um, All you have to do is have one of our lights um, and the sun, which is abundant and uh, it will help you with your health. It will help you uh, in business. uh, It will help you study wise in terms of education. It touches on everything, safety and you name it. Um, And in many of these rural areas, um, the idea of laying um, a uh, a network, a mesh, a grid, which we've seen in the most developed of countries go down and be unreliable, the biggest um, advantage we have is we're a small company and the biggest advantage our products have is they're disconnected. You and I can be neighbors. If my light goes out, yours doesn't. And so that really being off grid in a positive way for us, we see as ownership um, and agency that one has over their life.
2: I I love that. And you know, you, you touched on it earlier that you have a lot of partnerships. And, you know, in our lingo, we would say, you know, it's, you're, you're really living the stakeholder model. And, and I'm curious, when you sit down to do your, I don't know if you do one, but an annual plan, or you start thinking about how to communicate priorities to the organization, and you think about those three or four big priorities for the next 12 months or 24 months, How do you factor in the stakeholders into that dialogue so that you you really have a strategic view of the the partnerships that you have?
1: That's an excellent question. And I think our business model is key, both to what John was talking about when it comes to climate change and those who are the most disenfranchised, as well as your, your question just now, Because our business model is based upon primarily sales to those in developed economies through retailers like REI and Walmart and Amazon, et cetera, we are not reliant upon those in emerging markets who utilize our lights for basic everyday needs and survival. There are companies with the the opposite business model, whereby they have you know infrastructure all over you know southeast asia africa etc where they are actively selling solar products to those um in these markets now there are a lot of people without electricity so we definitely would not look down on anyone you know working in the sphere but from a business perspective and from a stakeholder perspective those businesses rely upon sales Um, And have to tier their pricing, set up their infrastructure and or simply continue to raise money from investors in order to sustain their businesses. And we've seen uh, from stories from our NGO partners that that can create um, a scenario that that's not healthy for those that they're serving at the stakeholder level as well as for the business so for us our stakeholders are everywhere right they are the people in emerging markets and so for them we do tier our margins we work with NGO partners who are very familiar with these communities and with their needs then when we switch over to looking at our partnerships in uh, developed marketplaces those are primarily our retailers corporations etc and there The relationship with stakeholders looks different because uh, these stakeholders are interested in our products to help them grow their business, or in the case of corporations, or maybe they're using us. Um, Actually, we had um, a partnership with an energy company and they had a clean energy plant. And if someone signed up for their clean energy plan, they would get a Lucy light and a Lucy light would also be donated on that customer's behalf through one of our NGO partners into one of our emerging market programs that actually helped increase their loyalty retention by 25%. So that was the motivation for that energy company. Um, we are very good at looking at our stakeholders um, letting them know what our values are, our mission, our business model, and seeing where we can create that alignment. Um, so again, whether it's in, you know, developed marketplaces, where we're working with retailers and corporations, or those in emerging markets, or in partners, we understand that stakeholders come to the table with their own uh, values and, and uh, what they're trying to accomplish, Um, But we know in the space in which we're operating, there are a number of very creative ways to ensure at the end of the day, our values are aligned. Um, One other note, because I know all of this, I think sounds very rosy, but at times it becomes difficult. You may have a stakeholder, let's pretend it's a retailer who actually is not aligned with your mission. Or let's say it's an investor who, you know, Loves what we're doing, but still thinks traditionally in terms of the time frame of the return on their investment. We do see that um, it happens. Not everyone, you know, is um, as driven as we are by our values and our mission. Um, but that intersection is very revealing because if you stick with the values of what you're trying to do then that opportunity does end up looking different. You recognize that, okay, maybe that retail partnership long-term is not the right fit because that retailer's customers may not be as invested in our product because of who we are and what we do. So maybe our sales will not be as robust. We do find that You know, with the right retail partners, you know, I mentioned REI, for instance, we just um, are launching into Dick's Sporting Goods as another example, whereby their CEO has said, you know, we are taking a stake on diversity, on public lands, on sustainability, and they're making sure throughout their stores, through their marketing, through their outreach to consumers, that that's very clear. So that, to us, is a, a clear kind of partnership that works because if they're messaging that to their customers, then we're a brand that makes sense for them. And that alignment is there and that growth will be there. Um, and so sometimes when you're not aligned with your stakeholders, it's revealing as to you know whether that is the, the right partnership or not.
3: John, you mentioned the pay-go model, uh, which you don't use. But could you just define that? Uh... I'm not sure exactly what that means.
0: Sure. Uh, Pay-go or pay-as-you-go is a model used by uh, solar energy companies. Uh, Obviously, I want to preface this by saying anything anyone is doing um, from a developed world into an emerging market or underserved community is commendable. Uh, Sometimes people talk about, you know, should you give things away? Should you sell things? Well, you should do both, right? It's pretty complex. There's no simple binary, uh, answer to any of this, but the pay go or pay as you go model means you're, re- you're receiving a, a, some sort of unit. Um, but then you have to pay that off or sometimes continually pay for your electricity. Interestingly enough, it's similar to the United States. You can buy solar panels for your home, but you still have to pay for the grid. Um, and so, um, for us, we don't want that. Uh, we want our lights to be a one-time purchase, our mobile chargers to be a uh, one-time purchase, and then that is a capacity-building instrument or a tool um, that someone doesn't have to think about because we're not all born in the same environment. We're not all born with the same resources or the same opportunities. And so to ask someone who's already in a situation that's challenging, right, to then also pay monthly for their electrical bill. That's not something that I want to do. Um, I understand why investors want to invest in it. I understand the longevity of that model in terms of an investment strategy. Uh, that's not the motivation for Empowered or me. And, and uh,
3: staying with the business model idea, you use this phrase in one of your articles, what it actually means to be a good company. Uh, you use the word auto-magically which caught my attention Thank uh, you. We aim to provide a business model as a case study for other companies to do good auto magically by realizing emerging markets for the business opportunities they afford and i think that's kind of what you're describing right you sell here at a higher margin so that you can then provide right. so you're going by the affordability in a given market which i think you know with somebody as a marketing with a marketing phd and a marketing background that's one of the sort of blind spots Right, that we look at it you know, in terms of pricing, et cetera, from, uh, from a profit and margin perspective rather than what can the customer afford mm-hmm. and how can we get to affordability? Right? And what, are the, uh, what are the mechanisms for that? You want to talk a little more about that idea of auto magically?
0: Sure. Um, we're subsidizing, right? By buying a light here, um, you're giving this sort of magical power to the consumer to participate and act as that, their own vehicle for change. You're buying the light at full margin. Uh, it helps the company to then move margin into uh, areas that require it, not because uh, they're needy, but because that is their localized economic you know, uh, value that they can afford. Um, and so we look at it as a, a global margin structure, uh, and all people are... Part of our consumers. um, And so it's truly sustainable. Uh, Whereas many of the other models, um, there's sort of just a gift component or just a foundation. Or, you know, if you look at the last year, um, many of the emerging markets were really hurt uh, by the advance of COVID, a horrible pandemic uh, where PPE was needed in the developed world and the developing world. Unfortunately, it was primarily given to the U.S. The people that fund many of these NGOs stopped funding after a certain point because they met their their tax threshold. Um, And the people who suffered were the people that are still having issues with pulmonary disorders from kerosene or not clean water or bad food supply or no transportation or poor medical conditions. Um, So the magic in it is that it offers the consumer to um, participate in in the process.
1: I'd love to add one other thing. Um, I know that we've mentioned that the very same products that we sell here in the US and Europe and Australia, et cetera, are the same products that we either sell or um, give through our give program in these emerging markets. And the reason that's important is we're doing this at a localized price, but there's a value to what we're bringing to these emerging markets. We're not dumping you know, low cost uh, versions of our products into these emerging markets and disrupting these markets. We're bringing the same high quality innovation value same technology to these markets where we also understand people there are consumers. Again, you know, this is my background, this is where I came from. And by and large, if you look at the world, most consumers are actually in these emerging markets. And so we know that they're looking to make sure these are great products, they can use them, they work well, they're beautiful, they're functional. Um, But of course, they can't pay prices that are unsustainable for that market. So we're tweaking the pricing, but bringing the same quality and really tapping into this consumer as a consumer, which I think is key because that is that uh, removing that stage of dependency that I spoke about earlier when you, you know, Um, are are just looking at these markets as, okay, I'm going to design a process or a system or a solution and then, you know, uh, create the cycle of dependency. No, we're, we're saying consumers can choose. They're choosing our products. They're reselling our products. If they're female entrepreneurs, they're using our products. We hear from NGOs actually all the time that, um, people want our products because they're like, wow, what is that? That is so cool, or I love that, or I can't believe it does that. And um, that is the human value that we bring to what we do.
0: Just to add really quickly, there's a distinction. So the majority of our lights that we give away uh, would be in an emergency response. Uh, and we actually... Uh, don't give them away we utilize partners whether it's react formerly known as team rubicon or international medical corps etc and then the capacity building side of it our lights are actually deployed by one of our 700 ngos into their own models their own programs so we're not just dropping lights out of a plane literally or figuratively
2: Well, as you bring that up, I mean, Sangha, you also raised the question about investors. And, you know, when we talk about this, Raj and I, we often say that, you know, you get the investors you work for and that that alignment of values and expectations with investors is often critical. Tell us a little bit about what your pitch is to investors and, and what kind of investor are you? Are you, are you really looking for? what does your ideal investor look like?
1: So thank you. I think um, in this sphere of you know businesses like ours and investors, um, I would say that I think businesses are more at the cutting edge. You know there's more of us who are pushing the boundaries of how we're working. I do think that the investor community, has become very aware of this. There's definitely, you know, the impact investor and, you know, certain standards that they look at. But um, by and large, you know, when you're trying to raise capital, um, the, you know, impact investor community is still a very small part of the overall, you know, community of VCPE, you you name it. So um, having an understanding that, you know, our, results may may not be on this, you know, trajectory that's always consistent, that's, you know, this, uh, you know, elevated trajectory is something that's very important. You know, in our work, um, you know, there are some years when there's a lot of impact work we're doing, you know, we've mentioned Puerto Rico a number of times that there was a huge outpouring of support and it helped our business and it also helped our impact. Then there are some years, you know, like John mentioned with COVID where, uh, the entire landscape is, is pretty quiet because priorities are elsewhere. So having an investor who recognizes that it's the overall impact, it's the overall thought process, the business model, the, um, the ability to show that a business like ours can exist, um. That is very important, and that's what we look for. If it's an investor who is literally focused on a three to five-year horizon and expects X return, etc., that's a more difficult conversation because um, that's not how a business like ours works. Um, so it's something that we're constantly navigating. We do have um, investors who have been very dedicated to our, our business mission and our impact. Uh, we've had investors who came in for other reasons. Maybe it was innovation. Maybe it was you know um, belief in, in leadership. You know various other reasons. Um, we are learning as we continue to grow that having these conversations up front about, you know, what their central thesis is, what they're looking for, what they see value in our company for is, is important.
2: So I, I'm curious because with, um, you know, one of the other stakeholders, obviously the consumer, and when you're talking about the developed market, um, how do you reach out to consumers and balance the, this is a great product. We have a great mission. How do you communicate that uh, effectively to your target audience?
1: Um, we're lucky in that there's been a huge shift in consumer behavior. Um, you know, John mentioned that I come from the world of Procter and Gamble, and. Um, Originally, you know, much earlier, they were the company that sold primarily to housewives, you know, in an earlier generation, and told housewives, this is what you need, you need Tide, you need Pampers, and here's why. Today's consumer is vastly more educated and they're looking to companies and brands for more than just the product. They don't want to be told what they have to buy and why. They want to investigate. They want to question us. Well, what do you do? How do you treat your supply chain? How do you treat your employees? Uh, What is the environmental impact you're having, et cetera? And we're seeing this not only from Gen X and millennials. We're seeing it from baby boomers. We're seeing it across the board. So um, it's, it's not that difficult, actually, to connect with them, because they already have shown that they will be willing to pay more, Uh, they want to learn more, they'll have a deeper engagement with the brand. Um, You know, of course, we do some basic things, we talk about our impact, you know, on our packaging, we put the B Corp logo on the packaging, we create lots of blogs and social media posts, et cetera, about the work that we're doing. Um, But we have found across the board, you know, whether it's a traditional retailer, you know, like we're in, you know, Nordstrom's tech section, um, but there's a deeper engagement with our brand again, because this consumer wants to know it's not just a tech product that they're buying, but there's more that's happening. Um, You know, so the retailer doesn't have to be, you know, this, Advanced, you know, hyper focused sustainability retailer. We're just finding that, you know, through what we do authentically, through our communications, that we're reaching, you know, our consumer. Um, and the wonderful thing is, once they engage too with us, um, again, that affinity is much deeper than if it were just any other brand you know, they want to post their own photos, they want to reach out to us and say, you know, we've had so many say things like, oh, you know, I'm gonna go volunteer with the Peace Corps next year. And I'd love to bring your lights with me. You know, I picked one up at the local REI, but you know, it was so great, I can see a need, you know, in this local community for your lights. So it's a wonderful kind of regenerative process of, you know, once we really engage with our consumer, we have a lot of, of stickiness with them.
2: Mm, I love it. I've, I've got to go out and get my bike light and uh, I'll be looking at yours first.
3: <laughs> yeah, I need one too, actually. I want to get a bike
0: lights. So. Participate.
2: Thank you.
3: But my bike is often in a, in a dark garage when I'm not using it. So I don't know if that, that light is going to get charged up quickly, you know.
0: That's why it also has DC current. Uh-huh. Yeah. So rechargeable at a minimum, solar at the
3: maximum. So, John, you've also written about this idea of need-based capitalism, that uh, too much of business uh, uh, focuses on wants and desires. I would even say addictions, you know, coming from a marketing standpoint, that we create and feed wants, desires, and addictions rather than focusing on people's real needs. And that is certainly an important thing in the developing world, but even in the developed world, I think we've kind of lost sight of the underlying need. So if you could talk a little more about that, and then does that suggest that there's no place in the world for so-called luxury products, or is there a hybrid that when you buy, let's say somebody really cares about design and other aspects, and they're willing to pay a lot more, that there's a business model within that, that you can have offer luxury, but at the same time, you're also meeting real needs, whether it's here or somewhere else, you know, could be your kind of hybrid.
0: Sure. So I think there's the consumer and then there's the business. And so from a consumer perspective, um, you're going to buy what you want to (laughs) buy. And I'm not going to drive that one way or another, but from a business perspective, um, if I'm selling something that is needed, if I'm solving a problem with a product, um, helping someone out uh, through a product purchase, um, that's a much easier sell. It's it's actually from a business perspective. I'm not necessarily tweaking something, uh, as I've said many times, adding a fragrance or changing a color or doing all these things, you know, to make you making 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 the port of your phone uh, or date myself again your Walkman. Oh, that broke. I got to get another one. You know, making reliable solutions. Um, that people require uh, many times i talk about this but it doesn't have to be saving the world it can be um, a 10 year old kid at a lemonade stand on a hot day it's hot someone's walking by they're thirsty here's a solution so that little kid's going to make a good amount of money that day I-, I think we speak too much about for purpose and social impact and pigeonhole um, many of these companies that are doing good all the companies that are doing good are are literally just solving problems with their products and if you think about capitalism and adam smith and incentives and motivation obviously that's the idea right someone needs food someone sells it they make a living they can then buy themselves food and and it goes on and on unfortunately um we're not just capitalistic right Unfortunately, we're driven by the big casino in the sky, right? Stock market. And unfortunately, it sort of doesn't trickle down uh, to those who need it. Um, and I think marketing follows suit, uh, frankly. I think if there's something that can make more money, that's more important than solving an actual problem. And, and we all know that. Um, you can just look at the nightly news to get depressed. There's a lot of problems to be solved. And so there's a lot of ideation necessary for products, services to resolve, you know, the predicament that humans and the environment, um, you know, where we find ourselves today. And it's an easier sell. And on mm-hmm. top of it, as to what Sangha was saying, you're giving someone the ability to feel good. You know, what? a little kid feels just as good as the person drinking the lemonade. Everyone feels good in this sort of cycle. Our employees stay with us longer. Our employees work harder um, because they care about what they're doing. Our consumer feels better about the purchase because it's helping them. It's helping us help others. It's a nice circle.
2: Yeah, I love what you say about purpose, uh, you know, and Colin Mayer of Oxford Business School has defined purpose as uh, a company's, uh, the way in which they solve one of the world's problems and do it in a profitable business model and do no harm. So this idea increasingly uh, that a purpose is around solving problems the world has and doing it in a profitable business model is increasingly at the heart of, you know, what that next generation purpose might look like. So I'm curious, John, w- what brought you to that place where you saw this vision of, of how business could be that inspired you to start Empowered, at the, uh, you know, back in 2012?
0: Uh, I always go back to my parents. Um, uh, I just was brought up in a way that, um, I was supposed to care about others. I was supposed to care about the environment, uh, did a lot of camping when I was young. Um, I think education is key to the future. I think sometimes we rely heavily on current generations and forget that we're teaching the same ills to the next generation, uh, whether it's language, uh, whether it's uh, thought processes, the absence of logic, you know all these sort of pervasive issues that we see cropping up today can change if we sort of teach that next generation in a different manner. Um, and so I think that for me, it's uh, it's my parents first one, two, and three, even though I had two parents. Um, they got separated. I had four parents, so one, two three, four, tangential, sorry. Uh, but I know it's also just realizing uh, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. You know, you visit other areas in the world. Um, you can actually visit other neighborhoods. Uh, you can get off your block, get out of your comfort zone, open your eyes, um, and realize that, um, you know, you're you're very lucky. And I believe in we more than I believe in I. Um, you have to believe in yourself to be able to help we, but I think it's important to realize we're all one of the whole. Um, and, you know, if more people did that, you know, um, it strengthens everyone. If you have a group of friends and you're comforting and friendly and, and you're there for your friends, it builds that bond for everyone, including yourself. You're a, you're a part of that. We're all one big ecosystem, social ecosystem. And um, for me, that, that's the key. And, and lastly, I feel good. It makes me feel good to do what we do. Um, it makes, I think, everyone in the company, it makes Sangha feel good. It makes our buyers feel good um, to be able to help others. Um, I think it comes from the place of um, being taught that sharing as a child, a three-year-old kid, I teach him to share. You know, As an adult, some of us have lost that. And we look at the differences versus the similarities. Uh, I think it's much easier. It's a much easier path, less bumpy road um, to do good and then realize the wonderful social benefits of that. Well, you know, John, in my language, I
3: think what you've created here is a healing organization. That's about reducing suffering in the world and bringing more joy and promoting a healthy kind of growth. And I think all of that is happening because of this business you are meeting real needs and doing it in a way that doesn't cause harm elsewhere. It actually has positive externalities, not negative externalities. So I really am delighted to learn about uh, about this business. And I think your bottom line in one of your articles expresses it well, do good, but uh, do it well, right? A, a conscious business is still a business and you still have to pay attention to the basics and make sure that the financial and the economic dimensions are, are, are healthy so that you can continue to, to do good at a larger and larger scale. That's why we need Sangha. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> need Sangha you, the person and you need Sangha, the idea the collective, right? The uh, <laughs> right. <need> <laughs> We, we need Sangha, right.
0: So,
2: so Sangha, so given that we need you, I guess one of the questions that I would ask is um, what have been the, the one or two, you know, most important things in making this business model work? So as you come in from the outside and you sort of say, okay, we do need to, we are trying to do good and do well. um, What are some of those things on the do well side that have really been important steps?
1: Becoming profitable. Mm -hmm. So the company hasn't always been profitable. It is today. I think, you know, the, the business model needed a little bit of time uh, to be vetted to you know think through some of the details you know even when we discuss things like margin there are details there that we really need to identify um, rebalance Um, it's been a journey Uh, there have been many involved with the company Um, you know John had a few uh, co-founders but he is the only one who Uh, has measurably, you know, continued to contribute to the company and take, you know, what was an idea and really make it a reality. And um, that road to profitability has had some twists and turns, but it's been a critical part of us being able to continue to exist, and then flourish. So I would say that that's been the main Um, goal and you know coming in almost five years ago that's what we've been focused on and we're we're thankfully there which also frees us to be able to continue to look at you know our relationships our products our stakeholders our you know emerging market work and and focus a little bit more Um, but yes that very basic underpinning of business had to be attended to
2: And if you could wave your magic wand and make one difference, um, for the way your business operates in the world or the way the world perceives it, what would that, what would that magic wand moment be for you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know what, I, I think I might say, um, to truly be more global than we are. We are a global company in that we distribute in over 90 different countries around the world, but our primary business is still here in the US. Um, We know that um, there are consumers all around the world and this movement that we're a part of too, right, um, is starting to gain footholds in other parts of the world. Um, But we have a global consumer. Uh, We are uh, very much a, you know, global ecosystem, as John mentioned. So, you know, taking what we've really developed and fine-tuned here in the U.S. and, um, you know, creating, you know, just the same sort of infrastructure, you know, around the world, um, I think would help continue to accelerate our message, our growth, our ability to reach people um, and be really true to, you know, our our central ethos of who we are. And I have a magic wand just for one second.
0: Thanks. That's not offered every day. Um, I think um, if I could, and I think many of our brand partners and even NGOs and nonprofits um, believe this, you know, if, funding could be allocated and invested towards preparedness uh, in our world. uh, It would make uh, a large difference, not to us only as a company, but in general. Um, We are a very reactive world, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a natural disaster. um, There are a lot of people that are at risk today uh, that are not um, defended um, through preparedness. And there it's a very complex uh, reasoning for it. Um, as humans, I think we, there's a hurricane here. Let me put some money here. As investors, you know, here's a serious situation that I can get a return on here. Let me do that. But I think what we as a people don't do is learn as much from the past and deploy for the future. Um, and that's something that we do struggle with, and um, uh, it would be wonderful to find a more robust funding mechanism uh, for just that, because what it would end up doing is saving lives and saving money and saving time when, you know, inevitably situations do occur.
3: Well, you know, one of the things that I've I've observed, uh, John and Sangha, is, you know, even in India, right, where it's- the conditions are in the villages very much along the lines of what you've been talking about. And yet we don't see these things being embraced and adopted to the extent that one would expect given the economics and the ecological argument and and everything else. And I think it really boils down to certain bottlenecks. uh, And and there's a framework that I've helped create in marketing, which I think addresses those kinds of bottlenecks. So it's it's this idea that for anything to succeed in a marketplace, you have to have the four A's uh, we call them the four A's of marketing instead of the four P's. So it has to be acceptable. It has to meet and exceed the needs and requirements of the people in that community for that problem you're trying to solve. Uh, it has to be affordable. And you've paid a lot of attention, obviously, to that. And very often things are not affordable right, in, in, uh, in many parts of the world. It has to be accessible. People have to be able to get it with a reasonable amount of effort. Uh, and there has to be awareness, Right? They have to know what it is and how it works and why they need it and so on and so forth. And, and if you look at things that don't work, typically is one or two of those as a bottleneck. Like you have great affordability and acceptability, but it's not accessible. People don't know about it, or it could be the other way around. You know? So I think that is, that is something that helps clarify uh, how do we help meet needs uh, at scale and, and realize the potential that exists in many products to do that. And then recognize what some of those bottlenecks might be. So I just thought I would offer that as a as a possible framework to think about some of these things or whether that's useful for
0: you. That's not just India, but India, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know we've done business in India. our 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 sort of most successful was with Jindal stainless um, in a program in Odisha. Uh, and also we've worked with World Vision uh, with some natural disasters. But India is sort of a microcosm, if it could be, it's so large um, of the world, right? And so many different languages, a vast, you know, geographical area, many different customs, and no centralized system um, to give those last two A's, right? Um the accessibility is is difficult. The awareness is difficult um, because of those barriers. At some point, it behooves us to push on governments to resolve those issues. Otherwise, you question, why are you paying taxes, right? Um, I'm not a non-taxpayer for taxes, obviously. I just think that they should be used uh, for the purpose of awareness, for the purpose of education, um, and for the purpose of um, an ecosystem and infrastructure, which is in the news, right? That, that's what everyone needs and deserves if they're going to put their hard-earned money into something. So India is a perfect example of a country that has many challenges that I don't think are being addressed. I will say they're not the only one. It happens here too. It happens everywhere, obviously, um, in the most developed nations in the world. Um, But that's a wonderful framework
2: singa uh, as you look forward, what what are the next couple of years, next two or three years? What's most exciting to you as you look out over the next few years?
1: So one thing that's really exciting is that we're working on something. Um, you know, John and I have both mentioned that we're very focused on solutions, and we've mentioned that there are many issues in the world that you know still require some innovative thought so we're working on a new product platform actually that will start to debut next year that um starts to move us into a slightly different sphere so right now again you know we're primarily focused on solar lighting products but you know if you think about the way in which we work the shareholders the stakeholders Um, There are some other areas of resource needs, so we're really excited to be innovating right now for that next line of of products that will help address some additional needs.
2: Brilliant. And John, anything you've read lately that's given you hope or making you optimistic or excited about the future? Any books or articles that you'd recommend to to our listeners?
0: Not the news. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I go back to a book that I've read for years and I'll open it up. And a friend of mine passed recently, a friend of ours passed recently, um, who was very spiritual in nature. And he um, and I enjoyed reading a book by Bruce Lee, who actually studied philosophy. Many people don't know that. It's a small book. It's an easy read. It's a book of aphorisms called Striking Thoughts. Um, I don't really um, read business books and things like that. It's kind of like, um, I don't think Banksy went to art school, right. Um, or Picasso, right. Uh, neither. I'm not in that realm, but, um, or that level, but, but I, I find this book to be really interesting and intriguing, um, because you can flip to any page and you can be having, you know, anything going on in your life and there's something there in it. It's almost like a good piece of art that you can relate it to, um, and it'll sort of intensely focus your thought uh, uh, inward. Uh, It's a really, really interesting read. Um, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, he wrote this book when he was lying on his bed with a broken back for a year, which makes it even more exciting, but you never know if that's a myth or not. Um, uh, An incredible person, a very young person who was very insightful, um, who had a lot to teach, and, and, it, and that's a great book, Striking Thoughts by Bruce
1: Lee. Um, I'd like to share one last thought, because I know we've talked about a lot and, you know, we appreciate the opportunity. Um, just reflecting back on your last question, I answered it with respect to Empowered, what we're working on, what we're excited about. But on a larger scale, I'm also really excited about the role of business, Um you know, I think last year, not only was there the pandemic, but there was a, a lot around, uh, you know, environmental disasters as well as racial equity, diversity. And um, we're starting to see, you know, both at Empowered and in general in the community in which we reside, that uh, the, the concept of business is continuing to expand in terms of who we can affect, the change we can affect, etc. And I am very excited about that. Um, You know, I will tell you, even being in the role that I am in today, you know, my mother told me growing up, you're never going to be able to be successful in certain areas of life because you'll never be accepted. You're an immigrant, you're a woman, you know, she named off all the things that, you know, made me different. So she tried to teach me to keep my expectations really low and to find a good husband. Um, and I think that it's very powerful now that um, we as, as private sector leaders are expanding our horizons of the, to talk about the issues that are important to us, the change that we can affect, the, the leaders that we can be. And so I just wanted to share that last thought that, you know, I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to be part of this. I'm excited to partner with John to continue to push the envelope of, of what uh, we can do both, you know, within our company, as well as, you know, as leaders, you know, in this space.
2: I love it. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, Senga. And thank you, listeners, for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and leave a comment or over to Spotify. And thank you, Carla Villegas, for your help in our production this week. And if you want to leave Raj and I a message, please go to the Conscious Capitalist's dot com and there's uh at the bottom of the page there's a place where you can leave raj and i a note thank you so much john and sangha for an enlightening pun intended episode today thank you thank you
1: thank you